Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Kings 21 through 11. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil, that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It it is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, North Cross Church. What a joy it is to be here with you all this day. I am so thankful um, to be here, to get the opportunity to preach God's word for you all. Um, So my name is Juan Rodriguez. Um, I am happily married um, for six years. It's crazy how the time flies. Um, And I do have a four-month-old daughter named Everly Grace, who is just the sweetest little thing. And um, she's a pretty decent sleeper, so I got an okay night of sleep, thankfully. Um, I am the pastoral intern at Stonebridge Church Community. Um, And this morning we'll be looking at a very um, scene of dire need in the life of Hezekiah, uh, a righteous king for God's people. But as we get started, I'd like to take a moment and pray with you all. Would you please join me? Dear God, mighty and merciful, gracious and kind, loving and steadfast. We come to you this morning, earnestly seeking your presence, earnestly seeking to better understand your heart. Lord God, let your face shine upon us and let us delight and marvel at who you are. Transform and mold us by the power of your word and be with me, God, I ask. Give me strength to boldly proclaim your gospel message, the good news that you love us, that you sent your son Jesus to save us from death and bring us into life. Illuminate our hearts to better understand these truths for your glory and praise, I ask in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So to set up this text, it's important to know that this is actually a flashback to when Hezekiah was under a lot of pressure from the Assyrians. Uh, In the previous two chapters, um, 18 and 19, we see the Assyrians pressing upon the city of Jerusalem, ready to lay siege to it. And God faithfully rescues and delivers Jerusalem. Well, in our text this morning, we get a window into an intimate and vulnerable scene of Hezekiah's life during this time. 
when the Assyrians are just outside the city walls while they are pressing upon him and his people. And we see Hezekiah receive the gut-wrenching news of his death. Isaiah, the, the messenger of God, his prophet, tells Hezekiah that indeed he shall surely die and not recover. Mighty King Hezekiah, in all of his splendor, was helpless to save himself. And then we see him respond with desperate prayer and bitter weeping. But with a powerful display of, of God's grace and love, we see God gift Hezekiah an extension of life, a new lease on life. In his darkest moment, Hezekiah turned to the Lord. He sought the Lord. And now I want to ask you, where is it that you turn? When you face hardship, where do you turn? To whom do you go? What do you trust in? Who do you trust? Who do you trust with your life? When things are hard, do you turn to your work, hunkering down and plowing right through until the storm has passed? Do you turn to your hobbies, seeking momentary escape and relief from the anxiety surrounding your life? Do you drown yourself in technology and social media, numbing the pain jabbing at your heart? Or do you look to a group of friends to give you a sense of worth? Where do you go? At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, what's your ultimate hope? Can any of those things truly save you, give you the rest your hearts long for? Now, of course, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, right? Like, it's not bad to work hard. I mean, there's certainly a true sense of fulfillment one can get from a job well done. It's not bad to have hobbies. I mean, I have dozens of them. I have little tiers of hobbies, like tier one, uh, disc golf, Formula One, tier two, spike ball, basketball, pickleball, tier three, cooking, running, I guess. It's not bad to have fun tech to play with or social media to participate in. I mean, memes and videos of people running and falling are probably one of the highest forms of entertainment available. And time with friends can be such a sweet source of joy. But here's the thing. If these things become ultimate, the final and highest sense of hope in your life, when you trust these things with your life, you dangerously step into a place where you can be disappointed, saddened, and hurt, and unsatisfied. You see, in matters of life and death, all of these things fade away. When the bell has rung, when the race has run, when you're at the end, these things are nowhere to be found. They can't carry you and gently lay you down in green pastures. They can't give you life. They can't give you the ultimate sense of satisfaction you've longed for, the ultimate sense of fulfillment you've sought your whole life. That, dear brothers and sisters, can only come from one person and one person alone. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He alone is the one who could ultimately satisfy you, fulfill you, make you whole. He alone is your ultimate hope. So with that said, please hear what I have to say to you, brothers and sisters. Because Jesus Christ is your only hope in life and in death, you should always trust in him. Because Jesus Christ is your only hope in life and in death, you should always trust in him. Know that in every moment, every hour, whether waking or sleeping, life or death, he is your eternal hope. 
And here's how I'd like to break up our discussion this morning. Three points that I think really capture the heart of the text. One, God listens to you, so talk to him. God rewards your faithfulness, so be faithful to him. And three, God gives you a new life, so live for him. All right, so first point, God listens to you, so talk to him. I mean, do you believe that? Like, literally, do you believe that? The creator of the universe, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hands, who sifts every single atom through his hands, through his fingers, everything we've ever known, everything we will ever know, is put in place by his sovereign hand. This amazing God who is far greater than you could ever imagine, and he listens to you. Can you believe that? Do you see the power in that, the beauty of it, that God actually cares? That he's not some aloof God far off in the distance who can't be bothered by someone like you, but that he actually is a gracious God who loves you and cares for you and wants to listen to you, who doesn't view you as a burden, as a nuisance, as an annoyance, but as a son, as a daughter, as someone to delight in. God isn't far, he's close to you, and he listens to you. So talk to him. And I'm sure perhaps there's some in here who've, you know, given it a shot, right? Like, like I've done it. You don't get it, Juan. Like, I've tried talking to God. I've prayed to him. I've spent countless of mornings and evenings coming to God and praying to him, talking to him. And all it feels on the other end is silence. It's like I'm talking to the wall. I understand your frustration. I understand how disheartening it may feel, wondering constantly, will God answer my prayers? Does he even hear me? Is he even there? Brothers and sisters, believe me when I say this. Yes, he does. Yes, he does listen to you. And yes, he is there. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And look at what God says to him in verse 5. I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. Friends, when you pray, when you pray through bitter weeping, whether you believe it or not, trust me, he is there. God is there, and he listens to you. He hears your prayers. He sees your tears. You see, the goal of prayer is not that your prayers might be answered right away, although they might, but rather the goal of prayer is that your heart might grow attuned to the will of God, that instead of static in your heart, it would instead be tuned to sing the hymns of heaven. You see, silence from God is not, not a lack of caring or listening, but silence from God may be his working in your heart, showing you that his will at this time is what's best for you. Look at the Psalms of David. Look specifically to Psalm 57, which is written as David, Hezekiah's forefather, was fleeing from Saul, where David cries out to God when there's nothing or no one to save him except God above. He says this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful, for in you my soul takes refuge. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God will send from heaven and save me. He will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you see the heart of David in this prayer? 
It's the heart of someone who has tuned his heart to the will of God, who trusts that God is there listening to him. You don't see David doubting the power of God. You see someone who is trusting in the love that God has for him, knowing that whatever the outcome may be, whether God answers or doesn't, he will be all right because he can rest and be comforted in the presence of his loving God. That is the power and purpose of prayer, that whatever difficulty you may face, even in the face of death, you can pray to God and trust that he will lay you down gently in green pastures and be with you. Now look again at Hezekiah. Yes, he wept bitterly. Yes, he asked to be rescued. Yes, he's desperate. But you get the sense that Hezekiah knew in his heart, regardless of the answer the Lord gave him, he would have been okay because his heart was tuned to the will of God to sing his praise. So brothers and sisters, Trust that God, regardless of the way he answers, that he listens to you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He loves you. Trust in that and pray to him. Talk to him and know that he is faithful, that he is good, that he has a purpose for you. When you pray to God, you will see how lovely and powerful it is to come to an amazing God who hears you, who is faithful to you. And this leads to my next point. God rewards your faithfulness. So be faithful to him. Okay, yes, this is true. God loves your faithfulness, and yes, God is happy to reward your faithfulness. I mean, look at Hezekiah. God answers and rewards Hezekiah with healing and an additional 15 years of life. Look at verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will heal you, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hands of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Fifteen years. I mean, that seems fair, right? I mean, look back at Hezekiah's life, how he was faithful, how he reformed the worship of Judah after they turned to pagan gods, how he cleansed the temple, how he tore down false idols and resumed the Passover, how he led God's people as a righteous and faithful king. He was faithful. So God rewarded him, right? Well, first you remember uh, you must remember who it is that Hezekiah was faithful to. Who it is that gives the reward. It's the God of the universe. The one who puts all things in place. That is the God Hezekiah was faithful to. And what is most remarkable about this glorious God is that he is faithful first. The God of all things is faithful to you first. He gives you good gifts. He cares for you. He listens to you. And he is faithful to you first. And his greatest display of faithfulness to you is shown that while you were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. While you ran from God, he pursued you. While you hid from God, he sought you. While you hated God, he loved you. And his love was so great that his son Jesus paid the penalty for your sin with his life. He paid for it in full with his precious blood so that you could be made right and forgiven so that the shame from your mistakes might be taken away and your guilt might be covered. That is the God that you are faithful to. It's not a random, tyrannical God who asks to be served first in order to bless you, but it's the God who blesses you first. And that is the motivation for our faithfulness. That is why Hezekiah loved and followed God, because he knew the God of faithfulness who was faithful first. But the work of being faithful is, is hard, right? I mean, it's easy to fall into temptation, to give up, 
to not try. It's easy to sin, but it's worth fighting. It's worth resisting. It's worth being faithful to God for the reward of faithfulness is far greater, far more joyous, far more fulfilling and pleasing than any sin or any act of rebellion could ever be. Because brothers and sisters, the reward is God himself. It's a closeness and an intimacy with God. It's peace like you've never known. The reward of faithfulness is not 15 years of added life. The reward of faithfulness is knowing God and knowing that he loves you and has forgiven you in Christ. Think about talented musicians who want to perform in the, the greatest auditoriums, who want to beautifully play their instruments with confidence in the largest stage, who want the peace and comfort of playing freely before hundreds and thousands of people. That requires hours upon hours of daily commitment and faithfulness to their craft. It would be foolish to think you could just simply jump up there and start playing like a professional. It requires work. And so it is with your faithfulness. It is hard work to be faithful. It requires daily commitment and faithfulness to God. It requires daily dying to sin and living unto Christ. It requires trust that God will be with you and strengthen you in times when you feel the weakest, when you want to sin and fall to temptation. It requires remembering that God was faithful first. All this so that you may live a faithful life, so that you may have the joy and freedom of walking alongside God, enjoying the peace and comfort that he brings from his presence. You see, for the hardworking musician, the reward isn't necessarily playing in front of the, the largest crowd, but rather it's the comfort and peace of being able to play music beautifully, regardless of the place or situation, regardless if it be in front of thousands of people or in their studio alone. The same is true with your practice of faithfulness. The reward isn't physical gain. It's not material. The reward of, is walking in peace knowing that whatever the day may bring, whether it be good or bad, life or death, that God will be with you. So my encouragement to you would be to, to start today, right now, to commit every waking hour until the day you die to the Lord to actively fight against the evils of temptation, the horrors of sin, to actively fight towards living a more faithful life to the glory of God by honoring him through your words and your deeds, trusting and knowing that, yes, God may reward you physically, but the reward of him blessing your soul with a peace you've never known is far greater than any material reward could ever be. My encouragement to you is to not waste your time seeking for anything else to fulfill you, for only a faithful life in Christ could do so. Look at Hezekiah. His reward was 15 years, but those 15 years weren't simply given for fun. Rather, they were given to do the will of God. They were given a purpose. It was 15 years of service, 15 years in which God would use Hezekiah to deliver his people and the city of Jerusalem from the hands of Assyria. 15 years for Hezekiah to have a child, to have an heir, to extend the line of David which would ultimately culminate in Jesus Christ, the Savior of God's people, who would come and take away the sins of his people to give forgiveness and a new life to those who would come to believe in him. So last point, Jesus gives you a new life, so live for him. Let's look at verses 9 to 11. And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised, 
Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps. Okay, so what's the deal with the shadows? Here's what it means for for God to make the shadow go back 10 steps. It means he rewinds the shadow uh, on the sundial of your life. When you commit your life to Christ, you're given a new life. That's what it means for the shadow to go back 10 steps. It's a new life in Christ. Okay, but like, what do you mean by a new life? Like, am I born again? Well, yes, that's exactly the case. Okay, but like, literally, am I born again? Okay, well, no, obviously not. Your hair doesn't change. Your eye color doesn't change. You sound the same. You look the same. Not much has seemingly changed on the exterior. But inwardly, at the heart, in the deepest part of your being, everything has changed. You're transformed by the grace of God in Christ. Where once existed a heart of stone, now exists a heart of flesh because of what Christ has done for you. You're a new person. You're free from the old things that chained you down. You're free from the regrets and mistakes of your past, and your heart is marked by grace. And this grace is given to you by the merciful hand of God, accomplished by the work of Christ, received through faith and belief in what he has done for you. It's a gift for you. It's a gift given because of God's great love for you. In Hezekiah's case, the gift was 15 years of additional life. But in the case for you and me, it's eternity. It's eternal life full of joy and fulfillment and praise for the one who secured it. It's a life lived before the loving face of your glorious God as he smiles upon you with gladness. This story was uh, shared with me recently. A friend of someone I know, a friend of a friend, was diagnosed with breast cancer 16 years ago. And in her battle with breast cancer, she went through a double mastectomy, went through rounds of chemotherapy to try and defeat this awful cancer. And in the end, she beat it. She won her battle with cancer by the grace of God. Well, from that moment forward, every day was a gift. Every week was a victory. Every month was a celebration. Every year, jubilee. Sadly, after 15 years of being cancer-free, last year in April, it had been discovered that the cancer had returned and was found in her bones. And again, the cycles start. The treatments begin and the thundering, gloomy forecast of cancer breaks over the horizon once more. But fortunately, the, the treatments worked. She started feeling better until a year later, headaches started appearing and it was realized that the cancer had worked its way into her brain. And of course, the moment she received this news, Tears started flowing. A sense of dread settled in. But soon after, something remarkable happened. She went to her family and told them they needed to have a party. They needed to celebrate because it had been 16 years from her first diagnosis. And each one of those years were a gift from God. It was a new lease on life. She was gifted the opportunity to see her family grow, to see kids get married, to see 10 grandchildren be born. For 16 years, she was able to live for her God, knowing that because of what he had done for her, she was blessed and secured by the love of God. And this past April, she entered into glory, into her life in heaven, a life that was secured for her by her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who had given her a new life, not only after her first cancer diagnosis, but even beyond. For the new life that the Lord gives you is for all eternity. 
So my invitation to you all would be to remember the great gift you have been given in Christ, to turn to Christ in search of a new life, to live now this day and always for Christ, to live for the one who has set you free, to live like every day is a gift, to live like you've just been given 15 more years to live. You see, you and I, as we face the most challenging and hardest moment of our lives, as we reeled from the effects of sin, as we endured the pain of being brought low and low from our mistakes, we sought for deliverance. We sought for salvation from the Lord. And he heard and he answered. For Hezekiah, he sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. But there was one who in the gravest and darkest moment of his life sought his father, asking for the cup of wrath to pass from him. And yet on the other end, there was no answer. Instead, there was cosmic separation. Instead, the Son of God drank the full cup of wrath, shouting to his father, asking, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is so that you and I could drink the full cup of blessing and receive the gift of eternal life brought by the perfect and sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ, so that all our sins could be paid for, so that we could be made new through our faith in Christ, through believing that his work is enough for us to be forgiven and made right with God. I'd like to close with this. We won't escape physical death. Indeed, all of us, every one of us, will endure the dark wall of death. But you don't have to fear it, because you have been rescued saved from an eternal death. On the dark wall of death is now a door to a perfect, glorious, better life in heaven where sin will never exist, where you will live in perfect union with God, where every tear, every shame will be no more. So when the moment comes and we close our eyes for the last time, in the very next moment, your eyes will open to the face of your glorious God who loves you. You will enter into your eternal rest and your faith in Christ will now be sight. That is your reward. Believe this to be true, brothers and sisters. Remember this every day. Behold the scars on the hands of your beloved, the scars which have secured your life in heaven, have healed your wounds. Behold Christ crucified, risen and ascended for you. And until that day when he returns or brings us home, let us put our full trust in him, knowing that he is our eternal hope in life and in death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, thank you. Thank you that in life and in death, waking or sleeping, your presence is our light. You are our hope always, Lord. We can trust you with our lives because you laid down yours for ours. Lord, help, help us to never forget this glorious truth that new life in you, for you, with you is a gift, a grace that we get to enjoy every day. Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, we love you. In the mighty name of Christ we pray, amen.